0: Hello, 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 my beautiful brownstoners! Just a quick announcement before we jump into today's episode. Um, as some of you may have noticed, today is Wednesday, and normally the show comes out on Mondays. Um, however, I have decided to move the uploading date to Wednesdays, which is a Mercury day, and Mercury is the planet that rules communication and. Yeah, it also just works better for me. So um, I hope that you all don't mind this little switch up and going forward, the show will now be coming out on Wednesdays. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Love you all. Bye. Hello, and welcome back to The Brownstone with Jara Monique. I'm your host, Jara, and this is the show where we explore how people experience and engage With different aspects of life from their varied perspectives, all while sharing some laughs, some gags, and some advice. And on this week's episode, we're talking about addiction. Yay! (laughs) Hello, 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 my beautiful brownstoners, and welcome back to another week. Thank you all so much for joining me here on the Brownstone Steps, uh, the... Metaphorical brownstone stoop. I appreciate every single one of you. Um, and for anyone who is new and listening for the first time, welcome. Uh, thank you for clicking on this podcast and thank you for whatever, you know, sort of auspicious circumstances setting you here. I appreciate it. Um, (laughs) as you may have noticed, I did not mention a guest. And so this week is another solo episode. Um, I hope you guys have been enjoying them because I've been doing a lot of them, um, since February. <laughs> and as I mentioned last week, if you were able to listen to last week's episode, if not, you know, please go check it out. Um, I kind of have been doing a lot of solo episodes because I really only need to coordinate with myself and get myself to sit down and press play. Um, on the microphone, and I obviously just have a lot of thoughts about a lot of things and uh but I do have some episodes in my backlog um featuring really, really, really amazing guests that you know I can't wait to share with you all, but I will say those probably will not be arriving until like April, and so, yeah, so just you know sit back and enjoy, and let's just kiki and let's kiki about addiction. Addiction. Why? What? When? Where? How? Why? Okay. So, um, not to keep like self referencing myself, but, (laughs) but as I mentioned, last week, um, was a solo episode and it was about depression and sort of recognizing, um, depression and when one might be entering into a depressive episode, as I like to call them. And I was simply referencing, myself. Okay. Anybody noticing a theme here? I mean, take a drink of whatever anytime I say self or myself. Um, But really that is the only lived experience I have to uh, speak from. And so I was sharing my own lived experience about my own um, bouts with depression and how I've been able to recognize when I'm sort of entering a depressive episode and how I've been able to um, just love myself through it and sort of counter all the things that kind of come about with those, like a lack of motivation and listlessness and, um, sort of negative thinking patterns and cycles and things of that nature. And, um, in that episode, I also mentioned that I had what I called like an addiction to negative thinking or it was in recovery for, um, an addiction to negative thinking. And I know like that seems like very extreme and very could be like very harsh because like addiction, at least from my perspective, especially growing up, was just centered around um substance abuse and like alcohol um abuse. And we all know like AA and NA and organizations of that nature. I mean, especially here in, in the States, I'm not sure what those organizations, excuse me, organizations are known as abroad, but um usually like alcohol addiction. Um, sex addiction and now like food addiction and, you know, drug addiction are things that are just way more prevalent, um, and spoken about in our societies. But, um, I wanted to kind of come back and talk about like what that journey has looked like for me a little bit and how I I really got into it and the tools that I kind of used and, um, yeah, share that with you all and just kind of explore, yeah, like, Addiction. And so to get started, I'm going to start with, like, you know, what's the meaning? And in this instance, like, what's the meaning of the word addiction? Well, I think we all, like all the words that we feature, you know, week to week on this podcast, have our own definition. We have our own lived experience with each of these words and what they mean and how they have impacted impacted us, excuse me, or not, you know, throughout our lives. And so addiction, as according to Madame uh, Webster, you know what? I don't know why I'm gendering Webster, but whatever. A compulsive, chronic, physiological, or psychological need for a habit-forming substance, behavior, or activity- having harmful physical, psychological, or social effects, and typically causing well-defined symptoms such as anxiety, irritability, tremors, or nausea. Upon withdrawal or abstinence, the state of being addicted, or there was a colon there and I did not honor that, but yeah. So, or the state of being addicted, which, you know, whatever, that's not very helpful. Or, you know. A strong inclination to do, use, or indulge in something repeatedly. Well, I mean, if I'm looking at a definition as a strong inclination to do, use, or indulge in something repeatedly, then I would say all of us have an addiction to something, to someone, to some behavior, to some action, because we have a strong drive to keep doing this thing, whether there's some sort of emotional, physical, mental payout um, to doing that thing. We feel better. It makes us happy. Um, It makes others happy, whatever it may be. We typically all in some way have addictions. And I think perhaps there's levels to it. There's certainly got to be a lot of nuance to it, right? Because like in the first part of it, I think when it's like an addiction, addiction, is when it becomes harmful, and when the absence of that thing causes um, physical or psychological um, things to happen to occur. Like it said, nausea, tremors. Right? We've all heard or seen films or TV shows, or you know, someone or have ourselves experienced symptoms of withdrawal. It can happen when you, excuse me, for myself, if like if I stop drinking coffee. You know, I start to get headaches for a couple of days until the caffeine is like out of my system, and my brain is like, "Oh, we don't need this thing right now." So we all have, I think, addictions, but like the severity of them varies, and the consequences of these addictions vary. And I mean, it's up for us and people, the people in our lives or whatever, to determine, you know, especially ourselves, when that addiction has become harmful and is impacting ourselves our lives and others and others lives in really harmful detrimental ways um but it is complex and it is nuanced you know i just mentioned caffeine and addiction to caffeine i mean in the sort of grand scheme of things of or the the levels to addiction if if that is a thing that exists is it a big one is it super harmful i mean probably not i mean maybe to my body over you know years of just drinking coffee but um, am I able to live and function with or without it? Yes, am I causing harm to folks like when I don't have it I mean I don't think so. I don't see it as something that um, influences my mood but again that could just be because it's like a habit that I have that I don't even notice it you know maybe if I ask my sister like hey, am I a bitch when I don't have coffee? And she might be like, yeah, (laughs) I don't know. But I mean, I should probably gain some sort of awareness, -awareness, self-awareness in regards to that. So yeah, tip for myself. But yeah, addiction as being, you know, a compulsive chronic habit. And I'm talking about addiction in regards to myself and like negative thinking Um, I realized like I was entrenched in this cycle of negative thinking. And there's another podcast episode, um, featuring my friend Nico called Can We Still Be Friends? And we talk about mindset and what is like a positive, negative mindset in the beginning of that, um, podcast episode, which is super fun. And, you know, you should all check out if you haven't listened already. But I spoke about like, you know, I wanted to, have a sort of positive, optimistic mindset. And I felt like I had that outwardly where I knew things would be okay. And I always like feel like things will be okay for others, right? Like I always can see the sort of silver lining in other folks' lives, right? But I always had such a difficult time envisioning that for myself where like if I sort of had Positive or hopeful or like optimistic thoughts about myself, I would almost immediately counter them with, like, you know, but what if this happened? Or sort of like, you know, you need to be realistic. And, you know, that sort of innate pessimism that I seem to just thrive off of just in my own life. And I know it's partly ego based, right? You know, fear is, I think, like a physiological. Thing, right. Fear keeps us safe sometimes in that fight or flight response. And we've obviously, you know, needed it way, way, way back in the day when we didn't have the technology and the advances and all the things that we currently have in, in contemporary modern times. So, yeah, like having a heightened sense of like um, noticing when you were entering a, danger, a dangerous situation or your intuition being heightened and things of that nature was incredibly helpful because, you know, we essentially lived out in the wild, but, you know, as someone of these modern times, um, there are a lot of safety nets and protections around me and around all of us. And so I don't have to be in this sort of stressory, like stressory, that is not a word, I don't think. The sort of stress, like high cortisol, fight or flight response mode all the time, because I'm not in imminent danger. I mean, there's also nuances to that as like existing as a woman in the world. So yeah, like sometimes it kind of does feel that way, but you get what I mean. Like I'm essentially like, okay. Where like I can process stressful, um, situations in a healthier way or should have been able to, um, but I had a lot of that, you know, negative thinking, pessimistic attitude in regards to like myself and my own situations. Um, and part of that was like, you know, protective um, measures for myself to kind of help stave off feelings of disappointment. Because if I went into something and was just like, oh, you're not going to get this, and then I didn't get it, well, then I how disappointed could I be? Because I never thought I was going to get it in the first place, you know? So it is a self-defense mechanism, but when you use it, especially when you're younger to sort of help ease and soothe yourself, right? Because you're being disappointed or you're being um, hurt in different ways by the world around you. um, It does help you survive. It helps you cope. But as you start to get older and, and you want to reach, you know, reach back out into the world and you want to trust and you want to try, that fear does a thing where first it was protecting you, that sort of doubt and pessimism. But now it's hindering you and it's hindering you from, you know, living your life fully and living as your most authentic self because you've blocked that, you know, from happening and existing. And now you can't even stop it. Like it gets to the point sometimes you don't even notice it. You're just doing it. And I feel like we've all been around people who've been like, damn, like, why is this person like always so negative? And I feel like it is a psychological thing. Like it is usually probably stems from childhood, like everything. And, you know, there's some astrological influences on these things as well. But um, it's usually, yeah, like a self-defense measure against pain, and, but then you end up projecting and you end up projecting that into other folks' lives and you end up trying to, you know, seemingly hinder their process, which, you know, we have the birth of a hater. Like, why is this dude such a hater? He says, I can't do this. I can't do that. It's probably not because he thinks you can't do it. You know, we have all heard that. It's because, he, you know, he or she or they feel like they can't do it and they don't have permission to do it. And so they're sort of like raining on your parade and we've all been there and you know, various parts of our lives where we're like, you know, I've been there. I'm like, damn, dream killer. Like, just shut the fuck up. Like your opinion isn't always necessary. Like, you know, somebody wants to do something that you don't agree with. Like there's none of your business. Like just show up for folks and support them no matter what. And so I realized I had to do that to myself too. And um, yes, I was taking certain risks. You know, I was I went to Madrid. I went to California. I, I did all these things that felt big and scary, but all in an effort to really just change my life. And like, I wanted to live as my most authentic self. I wanted to be someone that explored and traveled and and just met so many people and just shared these experiences and learned and and grew from it. That was always like my dream. And then I would get into these situations, and I would be doing these things that I'm like, oh, I always dreamed about, but I still in the back of my mind was always just like, you know, you don't deserve this. Why are you here? You could be doing so something else. You should be helping, you know, X, Y, and Z. Like, what are your plans? Like, it was always something where I just couldn't fully enjoy the experience. And it was because I, I was embroiled in this cycle of negative thinking. And um, I had made my way to Sort of addiction recovery um, in a very sort of, I don't know, millennial way. And, you know, don't laugh at me, folks, but I made my way to addiction recovery through Russell Brand, who I love and adore. And I know, you know, we're not idolizing celebrities anymore, but I love Russell Brand and I have for like so long. And Um, if you're not familiar with Russell, he is a comedian. Um, he's an actor. He, uh, does like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and he's also a podcast host. He's an author. Like he's a sort of jack of all trades. Um, and I think he's also like a PhD student. So like he's, he's, you know, incredible, but, um, you know, he struggled with heroin addiction um, when he was younger and he, you know, is in recovery and he uses an abstinence-based, uh, program, which is what like AA is and NA. They are abstinence-based programs and abstinence means you, um, you with, with, with stain. I don't, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but like you stop doing the thing that you're addicted to. So if you have a alcohol addiction, for example, You don't drink alcohol, (laughs) like you abstain from it. You, you don't drink alcohol, but you, and part of that method could be like a cold turkey method. Whereas like, instead of weaning yourself off little by little, um, you just stop right then, right there when you make the conscious decision that you are not going to do this thing anymore. And so you, um, can enter into an abstinence based program where, you know, it's being worked. You know, minute by minute, you know, in this minute, I didn't take a sip of alcohol. Another minute's passed. I didn't take a sip of alcohol. You can work it hour by hour. In this hour, I went without alcohol. You know, how am I feeling? Let me work through the steps, right? Cause it's, um, like 13 step process and I'm going to go through like some of those steps and then, um, you know, Minutes become hours, and you know, hopefully, hours become days, and days become weeks, and weeks become months, and months become years. But you work the program each and every single day. You know, there's kind of like no breaks, which is also what I was saying in uh, last week's episode titled In My Feelings. You know, I can't really go a day without doing something as part of my self care routine. Because it has this snowball effect, where I very easily get back into this cycle of negative thinking and back into um, which can easily trigger like a depressive episode and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, so it's like abstinence-based program, and I got into it because of Russell Brand, who I love and admire, and who like watched his comedy specials, and I have his books, and like you know listened to his podcasts, um, and he spoke about it uh, quite often, like his own recovery and treatment. And then, so he partnered with this organization. Um, I don't know if it's an organization, but they're online called commune. And this was like in January of 2020, um, where commune, they offer like, it's like subscription based and you can, um, take essentially courses and like workshops on like different, um, different things, like various things. And I did the free trial because Russell was offering this workshop on recovery from addiction. And I was like, okay, you know, I love Russell. It's a free trial. I don't feel like I have any addictions, but let me just check it out. And um, I had also known about sort of abstinence-based programs through friends and Um, again, I had a sort of very narrow minded view of like, well, if it's not alcohol, if it's not drugs, if it's not sex, if it's not, um, porn or, you know, food or things of that nature, gambling, then it's not an addiction. Then you're just either lazy or you're whatever. Like I even had negative thinking around that, like God. Um, and I didn't think it would necessarily be for me, but something around that time, January of 2020, just told me like, check this out, you need a change because the way you're going, it's just not sustainable. Like I just was not feeling good at all, like about myself and about where I was in the world. And I needed help, but I didn't know how to get the help. I didn't know where to get the help. I tried, you know, um, getting therapy therapy but you know, I didn't have insurance, and I couldn't afford a lot of the out-of-pocket costs. And then um, in New York City, and I'm sure in other major cities, and hopefully in smaller cities, they do pay scale. Like there are some places that are run by like the state that have like a sliding scale um, fee, which is based on your income. But obviously, you know, those places are like overcrowded, and a lot of them use like students. It's sort of like a student teaching type deal where. Um, uh, the students are in like their PhD programs or whatever it is. And, you know, for a, a way cheaper than the cost of private therapy, you could speak to a therapist or a training psychiatrist and they're, um, they're being overseen by like a licensed professional. So like, you know, it's not just someone who doesn't know what they're doing they're They are being overseen. Um, but those places are like super busy, like super um, overwhelmed because so many people need help and like not a lot of people can afford it or have access to it. So I tried to go that route and like couldn't afford it privately, but also made kind of like too much for that sort of pay scale version of it. So I was kind of in that weird medium space of like the US healthcare system that makes no effing sense. Um, And so I was looking for just help and guidance and you know had been trying to do it on my own for so long I've been trying to just change my mindset trying to make it consistent like I'd always been able to start but I couldn't for some reason make like be consistent with it or disciplined in regards to it and you know I had so many self-help books I you know had been on this path of since like 2013 of trying to change my mindset um cuz I'd recognized that you know, no matter where I went, I, you know, I took me there. So even though I, you know, went and studied abroad in Buenos Aires, I wasn't completely happy. And I was like, you know, this is what you wanted. You're in a new part of the world, somewhere you you always dreamed of going. I made such wonderful, incredible friends. I, you know, was in school. I was learning. Like I, I had a beautiful, wonderful host family, but I had like all the things that said like, you should be happy. And I still wasn't happy, you know, and when I came home, I was kind of like determined to and that was in two thousand and twelve when I did that and then um when I came home, I was like determined to start making changes in my life because I was like something's gotta give, and I wasn't happy with the job that I had I was back in school, so I was happy about being in school, but I just wasn't happy with myself and so I think all the way all the way as far as like two thousand and twelve was really when this journey started but 2013 like a friend gifted me the secret and that's about like sort of um what you think like you create right the power of your mind the power of your thoughts and that's when that sort of light bulb started you know brightening for me of being like oh shit it's it's your mind like it's your thought processing <laughs> yeah so like that was really when i started delving deep into this process of like trying to understand my thoughts and, um, that my thoughts become things and the, the patterns behind my thoughts and really just trying to embody, um, changing my, you know, my sort of mindset, but you know, it's not easy. And as I always say, like healing is a sort of non-linear process. So you make strides and you learn a lot. And then there are times where you, you know, get knocked back down and have to find and figure out your way back up and, Um, like, and it's your thoughts, right? Like it's, it's really freaking hard to like, (laughs) you know, change the way you think, right? Especially if it's been ingrained in you from when you were a child or like certain things have impacted you, certain traumas have sort of changed the way that you think. It's really hard to, um, sort of combat that unless you have, you know, a great support system and access to, um, help outside of yourself. And so in this roundabout way, um, I had this whole process and, you know, eventually found my way to commune and to Russell brand. And, um, the way it works is I believe you can still do the free trial. So anyone who is just interested and they have a lot of stuff, like they have yoga, they have, um, it's like a lot of holistic stuff that I've seen. I've done a few of the other ones, like about yoga. There's one about like, hormones and the body and understanding the body. But, um, the way it worked with Russell was he took you step by step and it's either a 12 or 13 step, uh, process for this abstinence based program, but he took you through the steps and there was like a video, um, of various lengths, but they were all essentially really short. Um, no longer than like 20 minutes, I would say, but I obviously don't recall because I only watched them like once during the free trial. Um, (laughs) And there's um, obviously captions and there's a transcript of each video, you know, in case like you're someone who just sort of wants to read through it, but like Russell talks you through the steps, usually um, using examples from like his own life to just help offer like different perspective, but um, to also, I don't know, make it seem more accessible and just like he speaks in a very, you know, colloquial way, like he's just, you know, has a very unique way of speaking. Um, and then at the end of the sort of explanation or the lesson or um, in regards to each step, there is a worksheet that you have to complete. And essentially um, you should be doing this like in your own time, in your own time frame. But because I had like this two week trial, it was like every day was a different step. And so I had to work through the steps quite quickly. Um, which I don't know that I would like recommend, but I also did like save the worksheets so that I could go back to them and work the program again and again and again. And sort of like what Russell espouses is that this program can can be worked for anything. It doesn't have to be just alcohol, drug, sex addiction. Like it could be, you know, addiction to sweets. It could be addiction to, like I said, my own negative thinking. Um, It could be addiction to video games. I mean, whatever it is that you personally feel is inhibiting you from living as your most authentic self, um, you can work as this program and like abstinence based, I also believe, but again, I'm not like a, a addiction recovery specialist or counselor. So please, you know, I'll have some links in the show notes about like actual, um, professional spaces where you can go and seek, you know, information whereas I'm just speaking from my own experiences of course but um abstinence based as well also includes like for example if you are struggling with alcohol addiction if you were to enter an abstinence based program of course you would abstain from alcohol consumption you would not drink anymore but you will also abstain from drug use you know like maybe you wouldn't do like party drugs anymore because things often are never solely just singular sometimes like they're never just really isolated there's also like various components to things so if you were like to abstain from alcohol you would abstain from drugs also um typically right um you would be sober and sort of um I forgot what it's called straight like you would be straight edge right like as we say here like straight edge is someone who doesn't drink who doesn't do drugs um and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so the thing with Russell, like it was, um, sort of like super eye opening and super helpful. And also, I think helped me unpack any stigmas that I had around addiction and what it could mean and what it could look like. Cause I was like, I'm still living my life. Like I'm still going to work. Like I still have, you know, these very, um, intimate relationships with friends. You know, I have my family. Like I, was doing things, you know. I was going to concerts and I was going to museums. I was still traveling, like I was still living my life. And like, you know, you may listen to this episode, last week's episode, in my feelings and think, "Oh my God, what a sad, depressive like person I I sound like." But, but that wasn't the case at all. It was just these internal battles that um, would spike at certain times, um, and other times would would be perfectly fine. You know, I wasn't, you know, walking around poo-pooing everybody and everything. Like, like I said, I had an optimistic outward outlook and outwardly optimistic outlook and, and mindset. And, you know, for the most part, except for when it got like, you know, kind of really bad for me in terms of like my depression, um, was always generally like happy and like someone that, you know, folks wanted to be around. And even when I I share and impart these things to some friends, they're like, holy shit, I had no fucking idea. And that's the thing too, right? Like we never know what people are struggling with um, internally. And, you know, if you can gain access to help and support and to community, because that's also what these abstinence-based programs provide is community, right? That's why folks who are in these programs get sponsors, because that is someone who is going to help hold you accountable, but also someone who's going to support you and not judge you for the way that you're feeling, the way that you're reacting, for the way that you are moving through this process. Um, and that's sort of the beauty of like commune as well, because there's also like a message board aspect to it. So when I was working the um, steps of the program um Each day you can go into the message boards and you could chat with folks who are also undergoing, you know, the steps and and doing their own process and you could share as much or as little as you wanted. And there was usually a moderator who, um, would ask questions and give prompts. So it is really trying to build community and this sort of shared space and being able to hold space for one another as we like, Shit is hard. There's no blueprint. There's no plan. You know, we're all just trying our best, and that looks different for each and every single one of us. And so I think it's really helpful to remove the stigma around addiction as being like, oh, someone who's worthless or like violent or is a criminal. And it's like, no, you know, addiction is seen as a disease um, in psychological spaces, in medical spaces. Um, It should be seen and treated that way in our sort of like judicial spaces, but it's typically not, but it is a disease that can ravage the body and the mind and the lives of the person who themselves is afflicted by this disease, but, you know, those around them as well. And I don't say that to sort of strip anyone of accountability for their actions, but to sort of just provide grace, grace for ourselves and grace for others who are, in you know, Suffering because folks are suffering like in some way, shape, or form, like you don't even if I think about like myself like you don't get embroiled in a sort of negative you know self critical thinking pattern unless you yourself have been you know told or shown certain things um, that you then latch onto, and that becomes a sort of narrative, the running narrative that you have in your mind, right. Would I have innately saw myself as being lazy and stupid and undeserving or whatever if someone had not, you know, continuously told me that when I was younger? No, probably not, right? Like, what the fuck? Like, it all stems, you know, from somewhere. But when you get to a certain point, a certain age, a certain, um, I don't know. Period or sense of self in your life when you're ready to sort of take back control, right? I'm ready to stop letting the past control me. And I'm willing to take action and to be committed to um releasing that stuff, releasing the things that are holding me back, releasing these sort of um narratives that I've been fulfilling or that I've been buying into. Like I, you know, other folks could tell me that, like you're not lazy. You're not stupid. You're deserving. You should go after this. You should do that. I can see this for you. And me being like, I mean, that's beautiful. That's great. That's wonderful. It Sometimes is the encouragement we need to be like, how come this person can see this in me, but I can't see it in myself? And why is it that the positive things that folks can see in me, I can't see in myself, but the negative things that someone saw in me, that's what I think of me. Why am I attaching to that and not to the other, right? More positive stuff. So it's really a lot of self evaluation as well of being like, what have I latched onto? And, you know, what sort of self coping mechanisms, what sort of protective, de- you know, self defense mechanisms have I attached to? And what can I release? Because I'm not that child anymore. I'm not, you know, that person in the past who needed these things. I can do things in a different, healthier way now, now that I know better, now that I'm armed with the knowledge, now that I have community and support. And of course that looks different for all of us, but yeah. Um, And hopefully, you know, folks feel a sense of community here within the brownstone where like, you know, how can we hold space for each other? How can we have these like intimate, vulnerable conversations and, you know, feel supported and feel like, oh, it's okay. Like I always like kind of say I'm an openly private person. Like I'm sharing this stuff now, but like, you know, I haven't shared this with many people in my life, you know, and I'm going to acknowledge that I'm only going to share to a certain point. Right. So as I mentioned, like some of these steps as we're going to go through, I'm going to share a bit of like my own journey and process with it, but we'll see how, we'll see how much, but, um, Yeah. So as I said, it's like a 12 step program and, um, Russell really like sort of breaks it down in a really like colloquial way that makes it seem less intense or like less sort of like, I don't know, um, doom and gloom because some of the language of the recovery program is, It sounds very like religious-y, like it sounds very like, um, doctrination and that could be something that can turn a lot of folks away. Um, even myself of being like, uh, I don't really like this sort of language and its implications, but it's just a model being used because it's a familiar one and I'm learning to not get stuck right at the level of the words, but to look beyond the words and to really figure out their meaning, um, and to know that you apply it in whatever way works for you. And so, for example, like step 1 of recovery with Russell Brand, you know, is titled Are you a bit fucked? <laughs> and I love Russell and I love that he he put it that way cuz it's like are you a bit fucked in a sort of non, you know, positive life affirming way, which shout out to anyone who gets that TV show reference. But um and you kind of have to ask yourself, right? Like am I fucked? Like, am I in a situation or position where like, I cannot overcome this thing on my own? Right. So some of the questions that you work through on like this worksheet, just in regards to step one is like, what do I want to change? Right. And you can take your time and you can meditate on these questions and Russell, um, sort of advocates that you can work the program for different things, right? Like I was saying before, before I got sidetracked, like it doesn't have to be, um, alcohol or sex or whatever. Like it could really be anything that you feel like you want a healthier relationship with. You can work the program, you know, using it. So, or you could work the steps. I don't know why I keep saying program. Cause you can, um, also go to like AA and NA and, um, They also have programs for, like, the families of folks um, who have been affected by addictions, right? I can't recall the name of it right now, but they also have meetings and, like, their own steps for people who have grown up or lived or were married to or the children of um, people who have struggled with addiction disease, um, which also feel like is a great, great, great uh, sense of community and support system. um, because. We, you know, if we as individuals have our own sort of um, battles with addictions, our different levels and severities, um, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, then we can imagine, right, our parents have their own addictions to, with different levels, different types of severities and different um, ways that which that has impacted us because it, it has impacted them and so forth and so on, their parents and their parents and sort of like, Our community of family, right? It doesn't even have to be someone in your house. It could be your cousin or your uncle. Like we all have family or family friends or people in our lives that we know of as this person is the one that drinks too much at family occasions, or this is the person that has, you know, whatever X, Y, Z addiction. Um, within our individual family cultures, you know, these things sometimes oftentimes kind of go unspoken, but I feel like that's changing a lot more um with like that stigma sort of being broken and um also with just a lot of people suffering and suffering from addiction. Like a lot of people I feel um it's it's come out a lot more, right? That's why we have a lot more centers and rehabilitation centers and things of that nature. But um yeah, you can work, you can work the steps around like anything. So he says like, step one, are you a bit fucked? Yes. Right. Like that. Yes. You wouldn't be doing this if you didn't feel in some way, shape or form that you were a bit fucked. (laughs) So it says, like, what do you want to change? And, you know, for myself, I had written, um, I want to change my negative thinking judgment and judging others and any unkind thoughts and words that I would speak to myself. Um, you know, internally in my own internal, you know, conscious uh, monologue. And the other thing was like, what pain or fear do I associate with change in this area? Right. Because there is a sense of fear, right? Like if I don't have the sort of negative thinking pattern that sort of guards and protects me in a way because it stops me from doing things that could hurt me or taking certain chances, then, you know, I could get hurt. I could take these chances and I can fail. And then if I fail, it'll just reaffirm what I think of myself or what so-and-so thought of me, that I'm a failure, that I can't do certain things, right? So you just don't try at all. And I'm just speaking from my own personal experience, um, right? So acknowledging that, that there is fear around changing this thing, even though I want to change it, even though I know I need to change it, there is fear around it and, you know, processing why, right? And then it's also like, what pleasure am I getting out of not changing, right? Because on the flip side, we wouldn't do things, most of us, if there was not some reward tied to it there must be something i'm getting out of this as much as i'm like i don't want to be this way and i hate this there is something i'm getting out of it what am i getting out of it and you know for me i said there's a certain level of comfort in believing in the narrative that i've built up about myself we are creatures of comfort right i know what's going to happen why because i'm self fulfilling everything you know that i say is going to happen And there's a comfort in sort of knowing what to expect, right? So it saves me from being vulnerable. And I've had a previous podcast uh, about the word vulnerable and my fear around it, right? So this, I I wrote all of this back in January of 2020. So it saves me from being vulnerable or being rejected because I don't want to put myself out there. And when I do, and I'm disappointed, y'all see that? I just use it to further justify the narrative that I am not good enough and that I should be alone. Ha 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 ha. It's so crazy What like when you really sit down to like do things and even answer what's seemingly like the simplest of questions you have all the answers inside of you. You just have not accessed them. But look how succinctly I was able to identify my problem. (laughs) That's only just three questions in. There are 16 questions on this first worksheet. And that was just three questions in. I was able to identify it. I had a fear of being vulnerable because I had a fear of being rejected. Why? Because I had felt rejected as a child. And so I guarded myself against disappointment with these negative thought cycles that kept me from trying or for or from believing that I deserve certain things, even though there was another part of me, thankfully, a more stronger part of me, that was like, no, 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 no. There's something not right with this. Because I can see the good in you, I can see that you try, and I can see that you deserve. What everyone else deserves, right? Which is joy and happiness and safety and protection and, and love and creativity. And like, no, 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 no. There's something not right here, but the ego is so strong sometimes that it can combat that. So it's, it's like, it's like a, a battle, right? Like an, an internal constant battle of like, which side will win? Um, yeah. And then the next question is like, what will it cost me? Right? If this doesn't change. And um, I'm not going to go through every answer that I gave to this. um, But, you know, what will it cost me was me being like, it'll cost me my sanity eventually if I don't fucking stop. Like, it'll cost me relationships. It'll cost me love. Right? And it could cost me my relationship with myself. It could cost me my relationship with a partner because how can I accept? someone's love if I don't love myself. And I'm not saying we we have to be healed to be in relationships, to be in partnerships. No, healing is a process, a, a lifelong process. But how healthy is the relationship going to be? Am I going to get the most out of it? Is my partner going to get the most out of it if I don't love myself or have a grounded sense of self that is separate from all eternal, like external things, right? Like my sense of self, my sense of self-worth, not being based or grounded in what others think of me and how others perceive me or or in my own and um, my accomplishments, right? Like like I'm worthy because I've reached certain accolades. I'm worthy because I have home. I'm worthy because I have a degree. That means I'm worthy of a good life. That means I'm worthy of love. No, you are worthy Period. Your self worth and your self value is inherent. Just because you exist, you have value and no one can take that from you. But if you aren't taught that, if you aren't shown that, how would you know, right? Like if you're in an environment growing up where when you do certain things, you're rewarded with affection, you're rewarded with praise. But when you don't behave a certain way then you're being lambasted or you're being criticized and so you learn to hide away those parts that are being criticized and you think oh those are the parts of me that are really bad and no one's ever gonna love no we are all worthy of love just because unconditional love just because we exist you know and this is part of that process it's honestly a part of like a addiction process of like fucking loving yourself, man. Like, <laughs> um, and it's, yeah, it's, it, it's a lot, but it is, I found like it was super helpful to kind of go through this in this way. Um, and in my own terms and yeah. So like more questions was like, what are the benefits I could gain by having this changed? Like, what could I gain? I could gain the world. Right. Because I would finally feel like I belong to it as myself as all parts of myself. But mm-hmm. you can write these things and you think like, oh, I answered these questions, I'm I'm fixed. That's it. <laughs> but no, that's just one part of it. You have to actually do the work, right? We can't we can't get through anything without actually doing the work. Um, um other questions, you know, has this mm-hmm. problem made my home life unhappy? Have I lost respect or reputation due to this problem? do i turn to the type of person that enables me to practice this behavior or to or to a companion who enables me right and you have to get real sort of honest with yourself and you know take a look at your environment and those in your environment right so there's a lot of accountability that comes with this right we have to be accountable unto ourselves and accountable for the ways that we even unintentionally have hurt others due to our addiction. And for example, if I have an addiction to negative thinking, right, negative self-thinking about myself and who I am, am I worth my value? How can I accept the unconditional love of others if I don't think I deserve it? then a part of you starts rejecting others why because you are rejecting yourself and i'll say this like for example like i have younger siblings they're adults now but there is a like a 10 year 10 11 year age gap between me and like my youngest sibling so you know growing up she was like under me all the time she wanted my attention she wanted my affection like all the time and i was like yo I'm not your mom, like get away from me. It was like literally like what I would say. And um, I couldn't understand why she wanted to be around me. I couldn't understand why she loved me so much. Why? Because I didn't love myself in that way. And I couldn't understand what I had to give to her that she kept looking to me for. And so I would constantly reject her, like, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. I want to be by myself. And that's just an example, but that is an example of like me being like, wow, I have to be accountable for the ways in which I projected that onto her, my own pain and trauma that I projected onto her and apologize, right? Like that is part of the process too. So like if step one is like, are you a bit fucked? Step two, um, the way Russell describes it is, Let me see, because I saved the worksheets, but I didn't save them in order, darling. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't save step two, so that doesn't make a lot of sense, but nobody's perfect. Um, Step three, are you on your own going to unfuck yourself? (laughs) I love the way he puts stuff cause it's just like, uh, and it's like, no, this is why, you know, abstinence-based programs are a community thing. They're communal. You have a sponsor, you go to meetings, people share, right? We all seen that, you know, my name is so-and-so and I'm addicted and I am 30 days sober because part of this process is sharing. Part of this process is holding space for others, holding space for yourself, um, And acknowledging that you cannot do it on your own. And that is okay. We've been taught, especially in the West, in our society, that we have to be super independent. We have to figure out our our stuff for ourselves. We have to, um, yeah, we have to do it all on our own. And it's like, no, no man is an island. No person is an island. We need community. We need love from others to survive. So how could you even just heal on your own. So it's acknowledging like, no, I can't do this on my own because if I could do it on my own, I would have done it already. And even myself having to acknowledge that, I was like, damn, I can't do it on my own. I've read so many books. I've done so much journaling. I've done yoga. I've traveled. I've come home. I've like done it all. And still I have this thing that I can't shake And part of this acknowledgement is acknowledging is part of it is surrender. A huge part of it is surrendering, surrendering that you can't do it on your own, surrendering that your addiction is bigger than you, right? Surrendering to a higher power. And as I mentioned before, that's when it can kind of seem very religious. There is a lot of terminology around God um, in the program, but the beauty of it. And if you do join commune, even if you just do the trial, as Russell explains it, and there are questions around it, it's like you get to define what a higher power is. You get to define what it feels like, what it may look like, what it may sound like, what it embodies, what it represents. You get to decide what that means to you and you don't have to follow anyone else's ideas of Source ideas of the divine ideas of God. You create God for yourself, right? And, but you have to surrender to whatever higher power you, you believe in. Or even if you don't believe, but you're starting to believe or whatever, you just say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I, there's, I surrender it to something outside of me. I surrender it to something bigger and greater than myself, right? Because you need help. And you're saying, I can't do it on my own. And you're also saying, I surrender and I give my burdens, my pain, my trauma. I surrender it to something higher than myself. Because the weight of Mm. it, I cannot carry it anymore. And I cannot carry it alone. So it's like, it's such a beautiful process. It's such a beautiful program. And that really kind of helped me tap into my own spirituality in doing this program. And um going through the steps. So I'll keep going. Right. Like step number three, are you going to unfuck yourself on your own? It's like, uh, no. Right. Cause if I could, I would have, and I can't, um, step four is like write down all the things that are fucking you up or have ever fucked you up and don't lie or leave anything out. And so this is where you start to, um, Bring up a lot of tough things. Dive deep into your past. And, and this could be when it starts to get tricky, right? The first three steps, I knocked them out so quickly. I was like, oh, I got this. I could do this. I'm good at this. And then I got to step four, which is like, write down anything and everything that you remember and recall that has ever hurt you. Oh my God. <laughs> you think like, oh shit, I'll be here forever. And there's also so many things that, right? Like we we try to block out they hurt us and we don't want to relive those things but you know you realize the only way out is through you have to go through right and so you kind of make a list right um and you have to acknowledge your own mistakes where you have been selfish where you have um been dishonest and sort of unpack why what was i looking for why was i doing this you know and it and it sucks sometimes to be like damn You know, I haven't always been able to show up as my best self or my best wasn't always, you know, someone loving and caring or compassionate. And that's where the accountability part comes in, right? Because, yes, we surrender. Yes, we acknowledge. But you can't acknowledge just that you have this disease that you can't control without also acknowledging the things that that you have done, you know, because of it. And then step five, which was like probably the hardest one for me, was like, honestly, tell someone trustworthy about how fucked you are. So then there's like, again, that community aspect. Now share, share that you have this addiction. You have this thing that is greater than you, that you're struggling with, that you don't know how to control. And, you know, you have to fight against the stigmas around it, right? Against the shame and the judgment. And I was like, oh no, like that was that thing, right? Where I said um, before about being vulnerable. I can't be, be vulnerable because that exposes me to, to rejection. You're telling me to tell someone, you know, my deepest, darkest secrets? Like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and that's why I started to notice the resistance in me, right? The ego picked up and was like, mm maybe you could just do this on your own i mean you're journaling right technically you're you're telling something someone the universe and that's what got me into therapy was i got to that part and i was like i want to keep going i need to share this but i'm not in the space to share this with anyone in my life um and i got on talkspace which was you know more affordable than private therapy and through the other um sort of public state Therapy that I, I tried to get into. So I did uh Talkspace, which is online therapy. And you know, I could just text my therapist, like, hey, working a recovery program and I need to share something with someone. <laughs> and it's crazy the things that will bring you, you know, where you need to be, like in just really roundabout ways. Um, so yeah, so I did that. And then step six is okay. Well, that's revealed a lot of fucked up patterns, right? Because you are looking to identify patterns. Um, Do you want to stop it? Like seriously, do you want to stop? Again, it's, it's holding you to be accountable. It's holding you to reflect, to acknowledge. Are you ready to stop? Because sometimes you think you are and you're not. And that's okay. You got to do it when you're ready. You can't do it because someone else wants you to do it. You got to do it when you want to do it, when you're ready to do it, when you can commit to it. And so, you know, you, you go back through it, you know, why did I do this? How does it help me? Um, what do I want or want to avoid? If I do not change, what will happen? And if I'm willing to change, how could my life improve, right? These are sort of questions that you kind of keep asking yourself. Am I willing to let go of my egocentric, self-centered world view? Um, and you can work these steps as many times as, as often. You go back, you go forward. You just do it again and again and again, um, you know, as you need to. And they're always sort of there for you to return to. Step seven, as Russell puts it, do I have seven, is... Are you willing to live in a new way that's not all about you and your previous fucked up stuff? <laughs> so you you obviously have to acknowledge the ego, the self-centeredness of your addiction, because addiction is very self-centered, because you're so embroiled in what you're going through um, that doesn't really leave room for a lot of other people, a lot of space for others. Um, so you have to acknowledge, am I willing to give that up and shift from a sort of woe is me ego centered self-based process to um, looking at a broader sense of where do I fit in within community? Where do I fit in within, you know, my family and my friends and my own life and and how I've affected those around me and, and how I can positively affect those around me. Um, step eight Sorry, I know this show is getting so long. Um, This is a lot of information. But step eight, prepare to apologize to everyone for everything affected by your being so fucked up. And this is like the actionable accountability where if it is safe, where if you can make amends, right? Folks always say in this step, right? They're making amends. And we've seen that, you know, trope in TV and film about, you know, the person calls and they apologize for how they hurt you, what it, what it is that they did. But the thing with making amends is you really have to acknowledge, like everyone you hurt, (laughs) which is difficult because none of us want to think that we have hurt people intentionally or unintentionally, but you know, we do. That's, that's just, the nature of life sometimes and working through our traumas is we end up hurting others. Um, and mm. you have to also mm. contemplate like, will it cause more harm than good to make amends? Because again, we're moving from an ego centered, selfish mindset into thinking and looking about um, how others are doing. So you have to think like, I want to make amends, you know, for myself, right? The person who who confesses i'm so sorry i did this thing i just felt like i had to tell you did you feel like you had to tell me for me or for yourself right so that's kind of where you want to move when you're when you're looking at amends like am i just doing this for myself so that i can get forgiveness and pat myself on the back or am i doing it for others and will it cause more harm to reach out to this person and and bring all these things up and you really, really, really kind of have to sit with that. And I struggled with that too, because as someone who wanted to be good and tried her best to be good, it was hard sitting with the fact that like, I had hurt people, people that I loved because I just didn't fully love myself, right? Um, and it's still hard, you know, like I'm not perfect, like I fuck up. So, you know, I want to be accountable. I want to apologize, Um And trying to find the space and ways to figure out how. So for me, I just wrote letters. Um, I didn't send them. (laughs) And like, I'm still working through parts of this recovery process still. Um, Because there's some, and and some people I have like apologized to, like my sister just being like, yo, I'm really sorry for like, feeling like I ignored you, reject, not even feeling I'm sorry that I rejected you and ignored you. And I'm sorry for the way that I was. Um, but you know, I love you and I want to support you. And I just want you to know that like, that was me and that was not you. And there's nothing that you did, you know, to deserve the way that I treated you. That was all me. Um, and sort of just taking that accountability, but there are other folks who I'm just like, I think it would cause more harm to reach out, you know, um, after all this time, but there, you know, I just wrote, wrote letters Saying, you know, I am sorry for X, Y, and Z, um, and stuff like that. And again, everyone has that process and goes through it. And I'm still going through these steps, you know, in my own way all the time. Um, Number nine, it says, first, you like, step eight, you acknowledge. Step nine, you apologize, unless that would make things worse, right? Because some people, you just, it would make things worse for you to just, Come back into their lives, even if just to apologize. Step 10, excuse me, watch out for fucked up thinking and behavior and be honest when it happens. Because healing is nonlinear, we can, yes, enter into these abstinence-based programs. Yes, we can go cold cold turkey, but it's not perfect. Like negative thinking, it's my it's my brain. I can't turn off my brain. Am I never gonna have a negative self-critical thought again? No. Of course not. That's unrealistic. But what can I do now? I can acknowledge when it happens. I can acknowledge if I'm getting into a repeating cycle or pattern and I can process it. I can catch it more quickly. I can observe it without attaching to it. Right? I can observe a negative thought and not think that's who I am. Instead, I can be like, okay, I just thought X, Y, and Z. Why? What am I going through? What is impacting me? What are the stressors around me that are perhaps causing me to react in this way? What is it that I need to put more focus into? Do I need to be meditating more? Do I need to be doing, you know, X, Y, and Z? So there's some things that we're just not going to be able to do. Like people who struggle with food addiction, like you have to eat. You can't not eat like you would die. So there are certain things that we just have to do, but we have to find a healthier way to do it. We have to find healthier relationships with it. Um, step 11, eleven? stay connected to your new perspective. Um, do I accept that the material and mechanical world as I see it is not objective reality, right? Is there stuff I don't know and that no one knows and things of that nature? You can get a little existential and philosophical. Um step 12, which I think might be the final step, is look at life less selfishly. Be nice to everyone. Help people if you can. Um, and this is the, the the part of service. Can you be of service to others? Can you help others? Can you get out of your head, your ego headspace, your selfishness? Um and help folks where and when you can, which is like eventually you have a sponsor, right? They're they're helping you Um, and then maybe one day you become a sponsor, like within the program, things of that nature, but what can you do in your, your everyday life to just help someone to stop thinking of yourself so much, things of that nature. Um, and yeah, like, so that is part of, you know, abstinence-based recovery program and, I'm sorry if like this was like an overwhelming amount of, of information. Um, but I do want to say that like it is so common. We all struggle in some ways with addiction to different levels, different degrees of severity. I just want to say like there is a space, Mm -hmm. there is community. Um, and don't be afraid to reach out to it. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to ask for support. Don't be afraid to surrender. Um, or if you are afraid, do it anyway, you know, because you deserve it and you deserve to be able to live as your most authentic self and to live a free life and, you know, just sending my love out to all of you. Um, And thank you for listening to this episode. I mean, I'm going to wrap it up here, but I am going to leave the links in the show notes for commune um, for folks who may be interested in joining and going through this recovery process. And also uh links to, you know, um, like national, I think, like addiction services and recovery programs and just information. Um, yeah, and I am just sending my love out to all of you. I love you so, so, so much, and just thank you so much for listening to the Brownstone podcast with Jeremo Um I apologize for any background noise, like, there are like doors slamming in my building and people are like moving furniture. And I'm like, hello, can't you see that I'm recording right now? Like how rude, but you know, the world does not evolve around me as recovery tells me. And as I repeatedly have to remind myself, um, But yes, thank you all so much. I love you all. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast. You know, leave a little five-star rating. Share this on your social media. Um, you can write into the show at the brownstone podcast at gmail.com. You could follow the YouTube page with uh which um which is under Jara Monique and which I need to um update, but just shout out to you all for just listening, for downloading, for supporting, um, for bearing with me, um, for sending me your positive vibes and energy. Um, And yeah, I'm so, so, so grateful for each and every single one of you. And I hope you have an amazing week. Happy spring, happy new year. It is the start of the, I think, astrological new year as we entered Aries season um, in tropical not in uh, sidereal, I don't believe, but the start of spring, right? New beginnings, new hope, just rebirth. And um, yeah, I love you all. Thank you so much. Have an amazing day, an amazing week. Um, but yeah, bye.